Hi, everyone. <laughs> if you are joining me from Seattle, Washington, you are uh, currently getting pelted with yet another hailstorm. <laughs> right as we go live. <laughs> Welcome to class, heathens. <laughs> Take your pants off and get out there right now. <laughs> So if you hear a little chaos in the background, this time, it's not my radiator, it's a hailstorm <laughs> blowing through the city. <laughs> what are you going to do? <laughs> Hi, Darlene. <laughs> Come on in, folks. Make yourselves at home. <laughs> Cheers to spring. Cheers to spring. <laughs> My goodness. Is it hailing where you are currently? <laughs> oh, Lord. All right. It might be calming down into just a whole bunch of rain. <laughs> But very Seattle, very very on brand, very on brand Seattle. Nicely done. Yeah, it's kind of shocking to folks uh, who move here how suddenly we can just have a lot of rain or hail just randomly dumping out of the sky. It's not personal, but it feels personal. <laughs> We will, as usual, get started in just a few minutes. It's already 6.03. <laughs> There's much to talk about. Um, if this is your first time to class, please make yourselves at home. Um, uh, welcome, welcome. I recommend grabbing a snack, maybe a beverage of some kind, other assorted enjoyments if you like, uh, and possibly also a journal to take some notes in. You might grab some art supplies in case the notes that you want to take cannot be conveyed in words. Um, you might grab a copy of your natal chart. You might grab other magical tools like runes or tarot cards to work with. Um, astrology and tarot are definitely on deck for subjects that we're going to discuss. And um, grab a friend. <laughs> grab a buddy. <laughs> Grab a partner, especially for Beltane, yeah? <laughs> Grab a few. <laughs> and we will get started in just a moment. Uh, also, if this is your first time here, hi, I'm Megan Angus. Um, uh, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> you get what you pay for. Uh, <laughs> I have been teaching these uh, Wheel of the Year classes since 2015 publicly um, and holding lots of private uh, Wheel of the Year soirees in my home uh, for many years before that. And um, these classes are an experiment, a process, um, they are born out of my personal exploration of my spiritual practices and what the heck is going on in the world, um, as well as um, working with lots of people who were coming from other faiths and kind of feeling disillusioned and but still wanting to be spiritual people. Um, and also 
seeing a need in the community. Nobody was talking about this stuff. And so I decided to be the person uh, that I knew anyways, that um, was talking about the holidays, the holy days, the festivals, the turning of time, the turning of the seasons, and how all of that stuff threads into uh, the practices and the belief systems and the um, the paradigms, really, of pagans and heathens and polytheists around the world. I don't speak for them all. We are not a monolith. Um, I'm sure plenty of people have come to my classes and gone, that's not right. <laughs> and and yeah, I probably, maybe I made a mistake too. There's that. <laughs> but also, uh, it's important to remember that there was not one way that pagans and heathens and polytheists did this stuff. And not everybody did the same things. Um, not everybody celebrated the same holidays, all that stuff. So uh, it's been um, a really incredible journey and it's been really fun to take people along with me on the journey. <laughs> um, so uh, we're going to talk about uh, pagan and heathen and witch practices, past and present, as well as other polytheistic religions and other monotheistic religions that are acknowledging the turning of the seasons, the passing of time, sacred days through the calendar, and all of that good stuff. It's 6.06! <laughs> it can never be 6.66 on the clock, you guys. I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Shall we? All right. Uh... In this class, uh, we will discuss concepts like um, goddesses and gods. And um, yes, sometimes we are talking about gendered stuff, especially here in Beltane season. Uh, sex and sexuality and the parts of our bodies that we use for those uh, fun and important practices uh, gets talked about and referred to very explicitly by humans throughout time. But very important to remember that these energies that we are talking about are energies that um, are possessed by all humans and all humans can work within the iterations of these energies uh, whenever they want to. <laughs> um, and our human species expresses all of the iterations of these energies and no one of them, no one set of them uh, are the standard or the default for the species. Um, these are energies that all humans can um, encapsulate and uh, embody and express in the world. Um, okay, so what are these energies we're talking about? We're talking about Beltane. Uh, hashtag healthy, lusty, thrusty. Yes. Uh, <laughs> hashtag hieroscamos. Hashtag sacred marriage. Hashtag the sacred knocking of boots as we like to say in class. <laughs> Beltane is a holiday, a festival, and a season that is dedicated to um, the reigniting and celebration, the worshiping even, of human fertility and virility. In Ostara season, we are really focused on celebrating the fertility and the virility of the natural world, plants in particular, watching earth herself or itself or their self um, coming back from the lands of the dead, waking back up. And so seeing the little buds sprout out on the ends of the tree branches and watching crocuses and tulips push their heads up from underneath what was 
frozen ground just a few weeks ago. Um, that's very much the Ostara vibes. We are celebrating the fertility and the virility of the plant world, the natural world, the earth itself. As we move into Beltane season, we continue to celebrate that same energy, but now we are celebrating that energy in humans and in animals. And so we've moved from the plant world into the meat skeleton world, <laughs> the meat spaceship world. Um, and uh, there is a rising power, a, a surging urgency that uh, awakens in this season as well and is inherent to a lot of the work that we're doing on the holiday and throughout the six to eight weeks that cover uh, belting. Um, one of my favorite quotes uh, that I try to remember to say every year, uh, one of my favorite quotes uh, from Joan of Arc, I am not afraid, I was born for this. I was born to do this. And that is the energy that we want to start to bring into our life and our um, way of looking at the world, or at least a point of view to consider. Um, uh, in this season, we are coming into union with reality. We're coming into union with the physical world. We're coming into union with doing that stuff that we've been thinking about all through Ostara season, and really it started back in, in Imbolc season if we've been doing our work, um, we're, we're embodying it now. It's time to bring it into the physical plane. And part of the symbolism that we will see over and over and over again is a union of opposites, a, a union of this and that, these and those. Um, there is a binary element in there, and it doesn't have to only be two things. It just needs to be opposing selections of stuff um, and or people or energies or ideas or symbols or whatever it is. But the friction of these opposing things coming together and apart and together and apart and together and apart and together again, um, you know, doing a lot of this stuff is how we get the fire started. And we will see that symbolism over and over again throughout this holiday. Um, May Day, AKA Beltane, um, officially begins at moonrise on May Eve or April 30th. Uh, this is a cross quarter holiday along with Imbolc, uh, Lunasad or Lunasa, and Samhain. Um, these four holidays are in alignment with the um, four fixed signs of the zodiac, and they are kind of thought of as the four pillars of the year that kind of ground or, or um, root in the center of the season. So if we think about that, spring started back at spring equinox at the end of March. Kicks off with Aries symbolism. Um, it's fiery, it's brash, it's bold, it's curious, it's playful, we don't know any better. And we are sort of filled with the vision of, um, uh, we're sort of filled with the vision of um, what it is that, you know, we might be doing throughout this next solar year. And, uh, and we are kind of dialing in on all of that stuff and then we move into this energy of now it's time to bring it into the physical world. Um, 
officially begins at moonrise. Sorry, I don't know. I kind of drifted off there. I had a weird note on my phone. <laughs> Apologize for that. <laughs> officially starts at moonrise. <laughs> um, and uh, a lot of the um, energy here is perfect love, perfect trust, um, this union of opposites, all of this good stuff. Okay. Where are we seeing this? How are we seeing this play out? What other themes do we have? Let me check my notes. Um, one of the things that we'll see is um, that the solar symbol or the solar deity is often um, androgyne or female. And we have male solar energy here as well. But there's an emphasis on goddesses or... Um, uh, non-binary characters carrying the sun, caring for the sun, uh, sort of ferrying the sun along. Um, other things that we see at this time of year, uh, there is a real acknowledgement of um, the genus Loki, or the spirit of a place. And I'll talk about that for a second. This is an idea that we see a lot of different cultures work with in various ways, recognizing that the place itself where stuff is happening is sacred and has an energy about it, as well as almost a sentience unto itself, that it is a thing in and of itself, whether we are there or not, whether we are interacting with it or not. And this is a magical concept that we work with a bunch of different times throughout the year, especially when we're following the Greco-Roman holidays. They were really into this idea of like everything had its um, genus or its spirit about it. Um, doorways, tables, like everything and, you know, points throughout the day. Everything had this. Um, and in Beltane season in particular, there is this very, very heavy emphasis on recognizing that the earth itself and the physical place where you are has a spirit to it. Um, and I mean like literally like the apartment that you're in or the house that you're in right now, the place where you literally live right now, that has an energy to it, that has a spirit or um, a sentience to it. Uh, do you honor that? Yeah, we're just going to get right into the heavy shit immediately. Do you honor that? Do you recognize that your house has an, 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 a sentience to it of its, of its own, whether you're there or not? <laughs> this is a time to kind of honor that because again, the physical plane is where we are about to be doing the stuff and making things real. And are we just like randomly picking a box to like make magical, incredible things happen in, or are we acting like the place where we are doing our sacred work is also sacred itself. This is an acknowledgement of that thing. So there's a lot of that energy through this season as well. Um, uh, and coupling with that, uh, one of the things that I've discovered uh, you know, over the years doing research on this holiday is there is just an incredible amount of Beltane in particular symbolism in the King Arthur myths. And we're not going to get into all of it, but just go look it up. It's, it, there's a lot. It's pretty straightforward and right into the Excalibur thing, right? You know, <laughs> um, you know, the symbol of this sword, which is traditionally a symbol that is connected to solar energy, masculine energy, um, thrust energy, more importantly, like regardless of gender, but it is also connected to phalluses. Um, uh, 
in this rock, right? Traditional sign of Mother Earth, um, the rock upon which civilization is built, etc., etc. But beyond the straightforward symbolism of of genitals connecting, um, there is very much the idea of putting the urge in the place where it belongs and where it's supposed to go and supposed to very subjective um very subjective <laughs> but um but identifying basically what your urge is that's the stuff that's been coming up for us through ostara season naming it and saying i have an urge to do this I want to make this happen. I want to make this appear in the world. I want to birth this. I want to make, you know, go get this. I want to find this. I want to explore this. I want to just, you know, whatever it is. Um, and then putting that urge where it belongs. Where is the place in in the world where that urge should go? Uh, where is it appropriate? Where is it best suited? All of those types of questions. So, um Again, we're going to see this metaphor play out over and over again throughout this holiday of identifying this is the thing I want and then going to get it. Um, for me, I think one of the easiest metaphors that connects with that idea is the image of putting the seed in the tilled furrow of the garden. The furrow is meant for the seed. The seed is meant for the furrow. And that's how that system works. Uh, the seed is meant to go into this cleft in the earth and the earth has to be or needs to be, wants to be, potentially even, to be opened to receive this seed so that it can grow this thing and produce this thing um, and manifest through that uh, symbol as well or that embodiment as well, right? Something to think about. <laughs> The Earth's urge to manifest through our potatoes and our carrots. <laughs> Take this. <laughs> okay. So coming back to our main themes for this, coming back to this idea of opposites of this and that and the friction of that. Um, another important thing to note about this holiday um, on the big concept level is uh, while plenty of, um, actually I shouldn't say plenty, some pagan groups past and present have or do celebrate all eight holidays of the wheel, lots recognized six and not all the same six, lots recognized four uh, even three. And for a lot of groups, there was two main holidays that um, pagans and heathens really, really recognized. One was Beltane and one was Samhain. And um, this is the, uh, you know, great opening of the solar half of the year, the bright half, the overworld journey, the high part of the sun's arc through the sky and its solar arc through the year. Um, and this is marked by a variety of different things, but to me, it really is uh, at the crux 
of this symbolism of opposites rubbing against each other and causing something to happen. We can kind of think of these two years or two halves of the year sort of sliding by each other, right? And one is sort of sliding into position as the other one is going away. And then at the other half of the year at Samhain, uh, the dark half of the year will come in and supersede the light half of the year. And again, there will be that, that type of friction and you know, there's a, there's a really intense magic that happens there too. Here it's birth, there it's death. And um, there's our two great energies rubbing up against each other, sex and death, creating and destroying. Um, so just little things like that is all we, or we're kind of focused on here at Beltane, really casual stuff. <laughs> um, but this symbolism is uh, paramount and um, it's embedded in a lot of the other stuff that we will see. So let's talk about um, a few things. First off, here is our Beltane wheel uh, created by Ryan Jack Allred, a Seattle-based illustrator and maker of all sorts. Go check them out if you need some stuff or want to buy some art and celebrate an artist. Uh, next up, <laughs> the Sabbath sign. Um, I still do not know where these have come from. If you know where these symbols came from, please let me know. I have been searching for years to figure out who invented these, where did they come from, as far as I can tell, right? There's the little asterisk next to my head. Here we go, asterisk. As far as I can tell, these were created definitely within the last 100-ish years. I think that they might have been created even as late as like somewhere in the 40s to the 60s, the 1940s, 1960s, but they certainly could have been from before that time. But I've, I, I, I cannot find them in any collection of symbols from the ancient eras. Um, but to me, this looks very much like a sprouting plant jutting up out of the ground and sort of growing, right? We've, we've got a few stages of growth here. But it also very much to me looks like an ox tail. Um, and of course, oxen, uh, bulls, cows, tauruses uh, are quite central to a lot of the work and magic and symbolism of this holiday. So um, I love this symbol. Just to me, it's very verdant, it's vibrant, it's shooting up out of the ground, growing. It has, you know, multiple parts. Uh, six is a very stable number, but if we, we could also count that as seven sprouts and that's an incredibly magical number connects to our chakra systems and our ancient planets and the metals of alchemy, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, uh, you know, all helpers here as we begin to manifest things in the physical plane. Um, so pretty cool symbol to work with for this holiday. Okay. So what are we doing at this time of year? Um, we are, as witches, working on fertility, virility, bringing polarities together, rites of passage, divination, protection, opening and restoring paths of exchange. Fertility, fecundity, and action are probably our three big power words for Beltane season. Um, so let's get into this a little bit. What What is this stuff? Again, as I already talked about, there's a huge celebration around the ideas 
of fertility and virility, as well as the symbols and the images of fertility and virility. And there are a variety of websites that feature these things if you are looking for inspiration. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, doesn't it? It does kind of. It absolutely looks like, like a, a rune. It, it, it very much does. It's not but it does seem similar to a rune. Um, the other symbols that are used for the sabbats also, some of them also look like runes. Some of them uh, are too curly to be runes. They have too many swirly curlies to them, but, uh, but they're not runes, but they do look like that. Um, okay, so fertility, virility, um, yay, sex, sensuality, whatever that stuff means for you. Why is there such an emphasis on this? A variety of reasons. People like it. Apparently it's really popular. Uh, also, if humans don't do this, we will die out. So there's that. Um, there is the natural urge from the natural world to engage in sex and sensuality. Um, and we see it happening in the natural world. Um, but also, uh, we are in some ways still waking up from winter's sleep. We are still, I mean, we had a hailstorm as we went live today. So, you know, uh, yeah, climate change, but also this is what it is for a lot of parts of the world at this time of year. We're still kind of one foot in spring, one foot in winter. And sex and sensuality are a fantastic way to ground the spirit into the body. It's a big part of why some religious practices issue sexual practice is because they don't want to ground the soul in the body. They want to, um, you know, uh, divorce those two bodies from each other. But at Beltane, we are engaging in the sacred marriage of really marrying the soul into the body so that we are really present and here to make some shit happen here on the physical plane. Um, bringing polarities together. And again, polarities infers binary, but it absolutely does not have to only be two. It can have be as many as you want, as long as they are opposing forces, ultimately to create some kind of delicious friction. Rites <laughs> um, uh, of passage. And uh, this is where things get a little tricky, so don't get crazy on me. We're talking about people who can consent as adults, but who are still youthful, um, may be going through a variety of rites of passage at this time. And we can think of sex and sensuality as a really intense type of rite of passage. But a lot of other rites of passage take place at this time too. Um, in the ancient world, in the Greco-Roman world, uh, this would have been the time period where a lot of armies were sort of suiting up for the uh, military season that would take place while there was lots of food and lots of light and wonderful weather. So they didn't really have to worry about building, t you know, tents and things like that to keep people housed. Um, and uh, and there's also uh, merchants and trading. Uh, begin again at this time of year because waterways unfreeze, the, weather's cal the weather calms down a bit, and it becomes much more safer and easier to travel or travel long distances or travel through areas that are blocked otherwise because of snow and ice through other parts of the year. So there might also be the right of initiation of leaving home for the first time or leaving home and going to a place where you've never been before. Um, so 
rites of passage of a variety of types kind of come up for us in this holiday. Uh, divination, very, very big uh, at Beltane um, because again, we are going into the bright half of the year uh, and we are kind of, you know, uh, stepping into this other body, this other way of living, um, you know, what if that seems like it's a little uh, extreme to sort of describe it that way let me give you this example think of how you live your life in january or february how much clothing do you put on just to be able to go outside uh, do you always drive or do you ever walk in that kind of weather and cold uh i guess i'm talking to people in the northern hemisphere here specifically but um we sleep more, we eat differently. I mean, our life is very, very different in the middle of winter. And now think of who you are in July or August and what your sleep patterns are, what your food cravings are and the kind of clothing that you wanna wear, that whole thing. Um, so we really are stepping into a different mode of being, a different reality, a different way of life. And divination is um, you know, gonna be a tool that a lot of pagans, heathens and witches turn to to get a sense of like, what the hell's coming up? <laughs> what do I have to deal with? And on that note, along with, I should say this first, opening and restoring paths of exchange, that's right in there, especially as we move out of Taurus season and into Gemini season, which is the last four weeks of Beltane before we hit summer solstice. Don't forget, right? Beltane has this very heavy Taurian vibe about it. And Taurus is like, really front and center in a lot of our Beltane energy. And goddess bless our Tauruses. We love you. Thank you for being lascivious and fat and delicious. Thank you for showing us how to live the good life, even when it's all like going to hell outside. <laughs> Thank you. But Taurus season ends and it becomes Gemini season. And that is in fact the last four weeks of Beltane. So, you know, we want to be thinking about what are we doing with Gemini energy and Mercury energy and all of that stuff. We'll get into it a little bit later in the class. But opening and restoring paths of exchange, very, very Mercurial, very, very ver, uh, Gemini-en. Um, and then divination, or excuse me, protection. Uh, protection throughout all of these things that we're doing. Um, protection if we are trying to get pregnant or trying to be, bring a child into the world. Protection if we are launching a, a business. Protection if we are going through rites of passage. Protection if we're leaving home, right? So protection energy as we sort of, you know, gird our loins <laughs> figuratively and literally for this upcoming solar half of the year process that we are about to engage in. Okay. Other names for this holiday. We have, is that everything I wanted to say about that? Let me see. I'll go back and check my notes, just super quick. Uh, fertility, sexual union of energies, initiation into interpersonal mysteries. Yeah, I love that phrase in particular with this. Interpersonal mysteries. That can mean so many things. With all of the sex and sexual and sensual energy that is embedded in this holiday, for good reason, we want to remember that it is not the only way to create dynamic friction between us and other stuff. Interpersonal mysteries. Love. The return of the passion and vitality that we will work with in summer. Purification. Maturing life. 
some levels of harvest. Some of some uh, harvest seasons actually do begin um, in some parts of the world during Beltane season. Uh, spirit work and divination. Okay. Um, all right. So other names. Valpeg is knocked. Uh, probably one of the more common um, alternate names for Beltane. Uh, also, Witch's Night, I would say. And so Hexen Noct. Uh, these two are probably the most uh, the 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 most popular other names that we find for Beltane. Um, and so what do we have at this? Valpurgis Noct is Walburgas or Walpurgas Night. Uh, currently, we have an iteration of Walburga or Walperga as a saint. But we all know what that means, right? <laughs> I think you all have been taking these classes long enough that you know. Uh, when we're dealing with a saint, that's a goddess. <laughs> Used to be a goddess, usually, most of the time. Uh, not every time. But um, Walburga was very likely a Teutonic goddess of witches and witchery goodness. Um, uh, this is a night for witchy dealings in honor of Walburga, the Teutonic mother goddess. Um, she uh, was very much um, a character of the witches for the witches. <laughs> and on this night, she would ride out on her broom across the skies and all of the witches would rise up and, and fly with her, very, skimming over her, her myth quite a bit there. There's a lot of details. Go check her out. She's kind of incredible. Um, but a lot of her myth sits very closely with our... Um, information and imagery that we work with with the wild hunt and the wild hunt is very embedded in a lot of the symbolism and cultural stuff that comes with this uh holiday um this is a big part of where the uh, hexen knocked idea comes from is that this was a night where again the veils between the worlds were kind of thin, right? We have these two years, these two separate worlds sliding and gliding past each other um, and having this friction, this dynamic moment where day turns into night or night turns into day. The dark half of the year becomes the light half of the year. The dead tree begins to grow again. Uh, and the wild hunt, um, which were or are <laughs> made up of uh, fairies and elementals and trolls and uh, the dead and, um, you know, the, the humans that have been stolen by the fae and taken with them. Um, the wild hunt is thought to have been sort of riding out across Earth all through the dark half of the year. And here at Beltane, the door between the worlds opens and they slide into the Summerlands and they head off to their homelands and kind of go back to where they came from. Um, and so a lot of the Walpurgisnacht, Hexenacht imagery falls in line with this wild hunt. Uh, one of my favorite names for, for this group is the Furious Host. Uh, we talk a lot about them at Samhain season because they definitely feature really big there too. But it's a lot of this idea of, you know, entities from various worlds kind of slipping through and moving along. Uh, Feast of the Sacred Marriage. If it wasn't already obvious, we have, again, as I said, the uh, several knocking of sacred boots. <laughs> many, many, many uh, goddesses and gods get married at Beltane or otherwise have some type of a sacred union, a sacred coupling, a sacred joining, a something that unites or intertwines them in some way. Just a couple off the top of my head, we have uh, the marriage of Joseph and Mary by the Catholics is placed on this day. 
we have um, the Feast of uh, Bloodwed and Lou from our Welsh uh, friends and ancestors. We have the Feast of Nana and Balder from our Norse friends and ancestors. So we have lots and lots and lots of sacred marriages that are happening at this time of year, emphasizing or echoes of, or however you want to think of that, this fertility, virility energy that's pulsing at this time. Kalan Mai and Kalan Haf are um, just other ways of saying the calendar month of May, because of course that is the month that we will be moving into, aka May Day. And May Day is also the name for um, the International Workers' Day, which is on this same day. We talk about it a little bit uh do I have it in the book this year? I don't think I do have it in the book this year. Um, but it's in your calendar. Uh, and um, uh, that's for patrons. Sorry. <laughs> Folks who are subbed at the $9 and higher level to my Patreon uh, get access to a seasonal book and calendar and spell work and artwork and lots and lots of other stuff that I throw in there uh, for you guys. Side note, I know I just saw a note uh, access to the thing. I had to pull the uh, address. I will be reposting it this evening after class um, because I discovered some people were getting access to the folder that weren't supposed to have it. So uh, I'll be doing a little switchy roo on that and I will be posting uh, the link to the folder, um, a new link to the folder uh, with the this year's workbook and calendar and all of that stuff probably tonight. I might wait until tomorrow when I upload the class. Sorry, we're just going to stop class and I'm just going to talk to my students really quick in the middle of everything. Hi, guys. Um, but uh, I might do it tonight. I might do it tomorrow. But yes, sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, no, the link is not working at this moment, but it will be in the next 12 to 24 hours or so. Um, and it will be filled with amazing toys and prizes. Okay. Uh, so May Day, International Workers Day. My God, people, unionize. Unionize. You want to talk about unions? You want to talk about unions? I'm not going to go off on that, but, <laughs> but if there was ever a season of unions, it would be Beltane. <laughs> the workers must have bread and roses. Okay. Why do you think Taurus is surrounded by roses? This is not a mistake. This is not an accident. People pay attention to what's going on. <laughs> Radnitsa, also spelled with Radanitsa or Rudanitsa. Uh, this is a celebration in the midst of a, a larger celebration for Slavics called um, Grudy Rosno. Um, I think I missed. <laughs> I think I said, I said that wrong. Um, Oh, no, I did say it right. Grudy Rosno, sorry. <laughs> and it is a multi-day spring celebration. It starts off with this big celebration for the god Rod um, and then progresses into um, a 10-day ce celebration honoring witches, shamans, soothsayers, medicine people, um, and of oracles, sorceresses, uh, and other magical beings in the community. Uh, it's an honoring of their tools, uh, their work, their skills, their place in the community, all of that really cool stuff. Really emphasizing a lot of that witchery vibe that we're stepping into in Beltane season. And then uh, our Irish and Scottish spellings for Beltane. La, la Beltane. Uh, la Beltane. <laughs> um, okay. So those are some alternate names. And um, now let's move on to some of the main symbols that we work with for Beltane. 
have a little sip of my water. Um, okay. Symbolism. The core of our symbolism in Beltane season is really focused on Hieros Gamos, the sacred marriage of sacred beings and us normal folk too. Uh, coupling and more. Um, it does not have to only be two. It can be as many as you like. Um, but getting together, fertilizing each other, um, viralizing each other. <laughs> now, don't let that become viralizing each other, okay? Because COVID is still a thing in the world. So, of course, we're approaching Beltane in the safest way that we can this year. Um, but coupling energy um, and grouping energy and fertility energy amongst two or more people, virility energy amongst two or more people, humpery energy amongst two or more people. <laughs> um, and that energy then as it rolls out of Taurus season into Gemini season becomes twin energy, becomes a little bit more of a symbiotic energy, a mirroring energy. Um, and that can lead us into some cool and weird places with our symbolism. Um, so we're going to get there. But um, it is uh, maypoles and flowers and bonfires and wicker man and genitals and twins and couples all across the board um, as far as the eye can see. So let us look at... This. First and foremost, maypoles. Um, maypoles come in all shapes and sizes. Um, we, uh, this is a very common one where it's a super, super tall tree um, with like a ring way, way, way up at the top. There are also lots of very uh, traditional maypoles that have um, ribbons that come all the way down to the ground. And then there are these practices of various groups of people grabbing the the ribbons and inter becoming rings around the pole and then turning in one direction or the other and interweaving in and out of each other and braiding the ribbons down the pole and this again is our union energy bringing this stuff into this thing um we have this big phallic energy this virile energy this thrust energy um very normal for more pole, uh, maypoles to be fir trees or other evergreens. Also, oftentimes they were a tree that was kept alive and was just growing in the center of the village. And this was where this festival was going to happen. In fact, a variety of the different seasonal veg uh, festivals over the course of the year was going to happen around uh, this sacred tree. Go figure, right? <laughs> hey, <laughs> wacky, I know. Um uh, so we see, um, maple energy, big cultural practice, <laughs> very popular cultural practice. Uh, this is 1917 Wisconsin, I believe. Um, so certainly something that has, uh, stood the test of time and been really, really important. Um, when uh when the poles were cut down it would be um uh or it, when they were picked or prepared there was either as i said the one for the village or um sometimes you would have one uh for each house like their your own family would have their own maypole that they would work with um 
But if uh, you were in a community where uh, maypoles were cut down and assembled every year, it would be gone uh, to the, an unmarried man <laughs> would go and get it um, and uh, decorate it with flowers and drag it back to the community. Here's, uh, I think this is the 1930s in uh, Wales. If you notice here in particular, it's a lot of kids. And that is also a pretty normal practice throughout time is that it is the youth of the village, the youth of the town, who are the folks who are enacting the, the, the symbolic portion of the ritual. Um, and then of the youth who were of age to be getting it on with each other, they out of them would be, have been picked the May Queen and the May King, and they would sort of oversee the rest of the festivities. Modern day, I believe this is California, probably a Ren Fair. <laughs> a big giant maple before the weaving has occurred. And here you can kind of see um, a little bit more of a close up of that uh, braiding technique. And it's hard, it is really easy to screw it up. <laughs> it's really hard to do this. <laughs> um, it's hard to do it and get it right. So it's really cool when you see the pattern begin to emerge uh, around the thing, even if it's just like whatever colors, you can actually see the braiding start to happen. It's really incredible. The reason why it's hard is because usually, <laughs> usually people are a little out of it <laughs> and they're spinning around this pole and they're flirting with each other and they're kind of not really paying attention <laughs> and they're laughing and falling down and you know <laughs> you know how it is <laughs> so maple 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 um maples are not only erected here at beltane they are also often erected at summer solstice as well especially through the scandinavian countries midsummer is uh sometimes the preferred holiday or uh, Sabbath, instead of using a maypole at Beltane, they will put up a maypole at summer solstice and they will look like this. Sorry, where am I? This, <laughs> they will look like this. <laughs> um, where you'll see these little rings off to the side and sometimes it's only two. That's a really common one, but I found this picture that had six. Um, and they weirdly to me kind of remind me of Christmas trees which connect us to the opposite half of the year so I love that <laughs> also I probably have been just been doing this for too long and everything is everything now so <laughs> there's that too <laughs> other stuff that we see happening uh of course the wicker man um wicker man huge big deal gigantic deal this goes hand in hand with um, Beltane bonfires which we'll talk about a little bit more specifically in just a second but um wicker men were these gigantic small to absolutely massive structures that were built out of wood there are a variety of different folk tales about wicker men uh being stuffed with humans or uh living animals Maybe some of that was true. Eh, pagans, you know, <laughs> we got a little crazy back in the day. Um, but the idea behind this practice was to stuff this character with everything from the old year that we did not want to carry forward into the new year. 
And so this is a practice that folks still engage in today. Um, they don't have to look like a being, but they often do. Uh, this is uh, from uh, Busseter Farms over in Europe. Um, and the idea, one of the best ways of working, well, it, as I said, it would be stuffed with things that people wanted to get rid of from the old year before going into the new year as a, a form of purification and a form of um, uh, protection. And uh, of course, there are divinatory practices around putting things into the fire and then finding them or trying to find them afterwards when it's safe um, and seeing what condition they are in and divining things from that. Sometimes it's rocks, sometimes it's like acorns and nuts and things like that. Um, uh, or, you know, other other items as well. Um, but we can still work with this practice today, and a lot of pagans do for Beltane. Um, it's fairly easy uh, to make a small wicker person um, out of a small collection of sticks and some jute twine. You really don't need to make anything too epic. Um, it just needs to be vaguely humanoid. It doesn't have to look perfect at all. And the real key element of it is that you create some kind of a belly chest area that's a little bit more open than everything else and stuff that with things. What? Let me tell you. <laughs> uh, just stuff you write down, you weirdos. Jeez, what'd you think I was going to say? My God. <laughs> Um, in fact, I think this is um, one of my favorite practices in paganism is to make a wicker man or a wicker person, um, a wicker being, um, and, uh, and use this as a rite of passage, use this as a cleansing practice, as a, as a protection practice, as a shedding of the old and the shedding of the winter practice. Um, you can take parchment, regular paper, whatever you want, whatever you have on hand, and write down the stuff that you are getting rid of. Write down the things that you want to burn off. Write down the things you want to let go of. And absolutely do that for things in your own life and things in your own person that you want to let go of and are done with. Um, but I heavily encourage you to do that for the world too. Uh, especially, uh, always, but especially this year. <laughs> <laughs> if you could just like scribble a few other things down because I don't know if you've looked outside but it's it's kind of haywire out there so if we could just kind of have less of the shitty and more of the kitty that would be great <laughs> um wicker man one of my all-time favorite um pagan practices and uh you know Americans do it every year they just do it in August and September and they call it burning man but this is literally the same thing this is exactly the same celebration. It is a bacchanal. It is a celebration of being and spirit and creativity and decadence and lasciviousness and, you know, just being uh, an absolute total freak, whatever that means to you. It's a very subjective thing. Um, as well as building a whole world wherein you create sacred space and you do all this cool stuff. Meet a bunch of weirdos, go on a bunch of adventures, travel really far get dust in places that you never ever ever thought the dust would get to it's gonna it will get there as well yes um so we do this every year as a as a culture on a grand scale what else are we doing at burning man <laughs> at beltane <laughs> we're spending a lot of money at burning man <laughs> bonfires and i think that the beltane bonfire is 
to me, aside from the sexiness, probably the key symbol of Beltane. Um, maybe the Maypole. Actually, the Maypole is probably the key symbol of Beltane, for, especially for us in America. Um, but bon Beltane bonfires as well, really, really key. Um, very, very central to the work that we do. Um, so first off, uh, traditionally speaking, the Beltane bonfire would need to be started with friction. You could not bring fire from something else. You can't use a lighter. You can't use matches. You have to rub things together, get a spark going, something along those lines. That is the only way to traditionally start a Beltane fire is with friction. Um, because of course, right? That's what we're doing. Um, and one of the ways would have been potentially to have a big pole in the ground and have it tied to cattle, which were circling, um, and allowing that process to grind and create friction in the center and to start a fire that way. I don't know if you could get the cattle going fast enough or if that's even necessary. I was like, is that really possible? Maybe, I don't know, <laughs> but this book said it was, so okay, cool. Uh, the nine sacred woods are used in starting the Beltane fire. And so we have birch for rebirth and fertility. We have Rowan for power and astral travel. This connects us to the goddess Brigid, a fiery goddess. Ash, uh, which connects us to Odin. Um, that's the tree Yggdrasil. Uh, and that connects us to wisdom and divination. Alder, um, which connects us to intuition and personal magic definitely emphasized in this season. And uh, alder is used to make whistles to call fae and fairy. And um, is used, alder is also used in other fairy magic and fae magic. Um, willow, uh, which is for protection and for healing and is connected to a lot of uh, femme and women's um, and, and um, afab magic. Uh, Hawthorne, um, this also connects us to the Fae and to Elementals, um, and this is a wood for cleansing and protection and defense. And uh, Holly, also for protection and for change. And finally, Hazel for wisdom and for dreams. And of course, Hazel is also traditionally used in dowsing rods. Um, and so you would never, ever, ever use el the wood elder in this. That's one of the big no-nos, even if you can't get the other ones, you know, or if you're only using one or two, do not use elder. Um, uh, but this is the Beltane fire and, um, it, we see the Beltane fire play out in a bunch of different ways in, um, pagan civilizations and ceremonies. Uh, sometimes people were just sitting by the fire again, as I was saying before, like with the wicker being, um, we are putting things in the fire and waiting until the fire dies down and then pulling them back out of the fire to see if they changed or how they changed and then doing divination with that. Very, very common and typical. Um, but also jumping the Beltane fire or driving our cattle through the Beltane fire. Also very, very traditional. Um, now, driving cattle through fire, probably not this big. <laughs> um, I've read various sources that uh, sometimes it would folks would wait until the fire had died down significantly. Um, and then they would drive their cattle through other sources. And I expect that this is probably regional more than one being true and one being false. But, um, uh, other sources suggest that two fires would be set 
and you would drive the cattle between them. And that is definitely something that's documented in other Sabbaths. Um, so, uh, uh, fire interacted with a variety of ways, but again, the fire itself is thought of as being a cleansing tool, stripping off elements from the old year and kind of preparing us and bringing our newness out for this high part of the year that we're about to go through. And last but not least, flower crowns. Um, working with flowers at Beltane, huge. Huge, 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 huge. <laughs> wearing flowers, um, wearing flowers, eating flowers, divining with flowers, giving flowers to people, making things with flowers, massive. Why? Well, because they are in bloom at this time of year, more so than any other time of year. So if you want to work with flowers and flower energy magically, this is a fantastic time to ethically harvest them. Um, you know, they're really surging in their flowery goodness <laughs> at this time of year. Obviously there are flowers that grow year round, but there is a, a surge of flower energy at this time of year. Um, but uh, one of our key holidays and one of our key goddesses that we work with at this time of year is uh, Flora from Roman and Floralia. And Floralia is uh, a, a Roman holiday or celebration that took place uh, at where we mark Beltane now. And it was very similar to uh, Carnival or Mardi Gras, very similar to our current Beltane. Uh, raunchy, fun, um, hanging out, eating food, being a pervert, um, you know, clothes, meh, you know, like <laughs> that whole thing. Just really enjoying and reveling in the decadence of the physical plane. Um, eating tasty food, smelling tasty things, tasting tasty things, touching tasty things, um, looking at tasty things, like all of that, like really doing whatever you could to delight the five senses um, and uh, just reveling, really. Uh, and Floralia is a goddess of flowers. Like Blodewed is also her face of flowers, um, uh, a goddess of flowers. Nana also a goddess of flowers. Um, lots of these deities are worshipped at this time of year uh, and a part of the sacred marriages that we're seeing. And so people decorating themselves with this symbol was really important because A, recognizing the, the, the shift in the natural world and that the natural world is, is producing this stuff, but also flowers are this really lovely representation of genitals a lot of the time um, in all of their myriad forms and functions. And so to be wearing flowers was sort of like walking around with all of these various types of genitals, you know, just on display. Mm, Want to put your face in that? <laughs> I've got three of them. <laughs> this lady's a pervert. I am. I am, in fact. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's true. These things are true. Um, let's see. What other practices do we have from this time of year? Talking about the practices in, uh, in the um, flower crowns in particular or with flowers. Flower baskets, uh, like making little baskets out of paper, like very little, like, you know, could be recycled immediately kind of moments. Um, and going out and picking flowers at sunrise and then like anonymously leaving them on your neighbor's door or in your coworker's cubby or whatever. Very, very Beltane energy. Decorating with flowers, decorating with budding hawthorn in particular. We've just stepped into or we're about to step into the uh, Celtic tree month of hawthorn. 
um, flower crowns as we see dressing in bright colors also very appropriate for this time of year um, dancing in our gardens blessing our gardens and having sex and, and um, sensual activities in our gardens or next to our house plants if you don't have an outdoor space very appropriate um, and going a maying uh, it's literally the same as wassailing um, or caroling, except it's springtime and people are drunk on the sun. <laughs> so dressing up in bright colors, wearing flowers in your hair, and holding hands and skipping down the street and singing songs at people's yards. Completely appropriate behavior at this time of year. This is the old time religion that folks are here for, okay? This is what we're talking about. It's full-blown hippie bullshit. That's what I'm talking about, people. <laughs> Let's go. Um, as we said before, uh, <clears throat> uh, acknowledging the genus Loki, acknowledging the sacredness of the place, the sacredness of the of the of the um, actual physical realm where you are going to be doing your magical work, um, sex. Like, what else do we have to say here? Um, turning the cattle out to pasture. Oh yeah, May morning. Uh, May Day morning, get up at sunrise, and if you have access to grass that you feel good about, go out and get the dew on your hands and wash your face with that dew on May morning. It's a protective practice, it's a cleansing practice, and it's a blessing practice, um, and you can bring in whatever type of beauty into your life, whatever that word means for you. Um, you can bring that into your life in that one simple little May Day spell. Um, sex and union and feasts and rituals, and I think you guys get the point of it. <laughs> it's Beltane. We're taking our pants off. Whatever it is that's happening, it's, it's not incorporating pants. Okay. So... Now, I want to talk a little bit about specifically who we are working with. Um, we'll get to that in just a second. Who are we working with? Well, briefly, because there's literally too many gods and goddesses to talk about all of them, but who are we working with in general at this time of year? We are working with Walpurga. This is a depiction from the artist Thorskega Thorn. And we can see all kinds of really cool symbols here. Uh, we have Hawthorn um, slash Blackthorn with those white flowers. Uh, we see her distaff. She's holding um, a spiral uh, wand in the other hand with three goddesses. We have these really magical runes. We see oak and we see, you know, other magical uh, plants here. She's standing in fire, a very fiery entity. Um, so this is one of our entities that we're working with at this time of year. Um, we're also working with Asherah as a world builder um, and a provider. We're working with Green Tara as a manifestation of uh, embodiment and making things real on the physical plane, as well as an entity that is destroying anything that might be impeding us or stopping us from making stuff happen on the physical plane. We were, of course, working with Hathor, uh, the great bull goddess that's one of the oldest known goddesses on the planet. Um, here, she is carrying the sun between her horns, as she is often depicted. Um, and so this is a great mother goddess. 
Uh, Hathor embodies in a bunch of different forms, um, but at this time of year, we are looking to her as a great world builder, a mother, a leader, um, and a solar figure in the sense that all life ultimately comes from her. And of course, I don't know if you're familiar with this deity, but <laughs> kind of a big deal. Gaia, a.k.a. Mother Earth. Um, this is absolutely somebody that we are working with at this time of year. But also, we are working with the Green Man. Uh, and the Green Man in all of his or their various iterations. Uh, the Green Man is um, an expression of the uh, the virile thrust energy that is coming up in spring and throughout uh, Ostara and into Beltane season. Um, this is Jack in the Green, Jack in the Hedge, Robin Hood, Peter Pan, um, and hundreds of others. Uh, Sylvanus, Dionysus, Faunus, um, and on and on and on. Um, and we see green-faced goddesses, and or excuse me, green-faced gods, really I should say green-faced deities, throughout time and in several cultures. We just saw Green Tara, who is literally a green-faced goddess. Um, here we have, uh, this is a Roman mosaic in Istanbul from the 6th century. The Green Man as well, the Verdant Thrust probably Dionysus, or a facet of Dionysus, possibly, I should say probably, possibly. Um, a modern depiction of the green man, and here uh, this is kind of a, an older green man. He's covered in oak. Um, he's got his little acorns. Um, this is a green man carved um, on the side of a building um, from Hatra, which is a, a second century city in Iraq. Um, so this is a figure that we see all over the world. And we'd be remiss if we didn't mention the OG green man, Osiris. Yeah, Osiris. <laughs> Death and rebirth, right? Um, kind of some stuff that we talk about at this time of year. Death and rebirth. And so this is one of the deities that is uh, kind of guiding our work or a fantastic representation of the stuff that we're doing at this time of year. Um, okay. Walpurga. I love this drawing. I'm so stoked that I found it. <laughs> it's super cute. Um, who else are we working with? Um, the Horned God, the May Queen, and the May King. Um, and this is, you know, ultimately uh, faces of um, the Holly King and the Oak King, in a sense. Green Tara, Gaia, Ashura, Aseya. Um, we are also working with Maya, who is um, the mother of Mercury, uh, Floralia, or Flora, as I mentioned before, Bonadilla. Um, who else? Bukis, Menevis, Bat, Hathor, Ain, White Buffalo Woman, uh, Tarret, Tefnut, um, and, you know, literally hundreds and hundreds of other uh, bull goddesses and bull deities who are, um, you know, kind of, as I said, also carrying the sun with them and bringing that energy, kind of the union of all of those energies in. Kernunos, Hern, Artemis, the May King, vegetation gods, 
and again, all of them kind of chosen from the the youth of um, these these deities or the the iterations of these deities. Okay, we have talked about themes, alternative names, and holidays, symbols that we find. Um, who are we working with? Various customs that we work with here at Beltane. Um, so now, briefly, let me say this. Um, the goddess arc, where we are in the goddess arc, uh, all pertinent deity aspects are coming into their own power. And at this time, sitting in their seat of authority, grasping their will, and initiating themselves and each other into deeper levels of interpersonal exchange. Okay. Now, briefly, not really, that's a lie. Uh, let's talk about... <laughs> Some of the other uh, holidays. I, get my, I put my chair in the wrong spot. My camera's all weird. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I know what I'm doing. I've done this before. Be quiet. Uh, <laughs> so in the global context, um, we are looking around the world and we are seeing holidays, festivals, holy days, past and present focused on surging power, fertility, exchanging energy, and opposing systems, aka sex and death, uh, in alignment with this cross-quarter holiday. And really, our, our holy days for this time of year break down into two chunks. We have our Taurian holidays and then we have our more gemini focused holidays or that's kind of how i think of it so with our taurus holidays we have things that are focused on like death and resurrection fertility uh marriages like sacred unions um uh, earthiness and producing things in the earth plane um and so in conjunction with the night of beltane for pagans and heathens we also have uh holidays like uh, the Feast of Oba from our Yoruba friends and ancestors, Lay Day, which connects us to more flowers from our Hawaiian friends and ancestors, the f celebration of Asherah from our Babylonian friends and ancestors, the Feast of the Queen of Heaven from our Catholic friends of ancestors, um, but also Floralia from the Romans, um, Garland Day in the UK, all connecting us to flowery goodness. Um, we have Mother's Day in the US, Mothering Day in the UK, um, Earth Mother Day from our Gnostic friends and ancestors, Feast of the Three Mothers from our Celtic friends and ancestors. I think you get the idea. Um, this whole season is filled with celebrations around the world, acknowledging the universal energy of motherhood and what it is to mother a thing into existence. Again, a concept that all humans have access to. So don't think that that's somebody else's responsibility. <clears throat> uh, <laughs> Easter. Um, this year, Easter took place for us in Ostara season, but it, you know, the year before that, Easter took place in June. So it was very deep into Beltane last year. Um, uh, Bendidaya. Uh, oh, actually, no, I'm not talking about that one yet. So um, these are all holidays that are very focused on earthiness, mothering, producing things in the physical world. And then, of course, we have all of our sacred marriages. Um, and, uh, and sacred marriages and sacred marriages, Hieros Gamos, that whole thing. So then we move into Gemini season. And Gemini season brings a lot more emphasis on merchants and sea imagery and ocean imagery. Twins 
and magical beings and beings who practice magic. And so as we move through Gemini season, we have holidays like um, uh, Cas Canary from our Vodun friends and ancestors, which is the release of the dead from purgatory. Um, and then uh, Mange la Morts, which is the feeding of the dead. Um, we have Grudy Rosno, as I mentioned before, this Slavic or Eastern European 10 day festival that's really dedicated to witches, shamans, soothsayers, and others uh, to bless them and cleanse them and bless and cleanse their tools. Um, we have uh, Bendidaya, as I mentioned before, which is Greek, as well as the Feast of Hercules Custos from our Romans friends and our Heng Hengist days from our um, uh, Hengists day from our Odin friends and ancestors um, or Norse friends and ancestors. Uh, several festivals in the latter half of Beltane celebrating athletic, pandrogynous, and competitive hunters, warriors, merchants, especially those who appear in pairs. And so this is something that happens with our holy days as we move through Beltane. There's this really deep focus on coupling and sacred marriages of however many people producing beings, probably, right? Because somebody's probably going to get pregnant out of all of that unioning. Um... And then, then that symbolism drifts into Gemini season where it becomes twin and mirroring. And what we start to see are, um, instead of pairs of opposites, pairs of sames, um, pair and more of sames. Um, and so we go from hetero to homo, <laughs> which is quite lovely because of course, June 1st, uh, it kicks off our LGBTIQA2 spirit holiday, right? It's basically everybody but straight people. <laughs> straight people, you get the rest of the year, calm down, you'll be fine. Um, <laughs> and uh, and so we go from, I mean, I really love this imagery of kind of going from the one where we are in, uh, in bulk season um, into the like, oh, here we go of Aries and Ostara season into the duality of Beltane season at the beginning and then the plurality of pushing further into Beltane season in the second half. And so it's like the, from the one, the many. Um, and, you know, the fact that it splits into two is just part of the process as we move deeper and deeper into Beltane season. And so we have all these mercurial entities and entities, uh, entities and energies that step forward uh, that are twins, they're best friends. They are mirroring each other. They are ride or die bitches, as I often refer to these characters. Uh, if they're not born together and literal twins, um, they often mirror each other and they partner up, whether they are born as partners or they find each other in the world, they partner up and then go out into the world and have adventures. And sometimes their shit isn't exactly ethical. Uh, sometimes they get into some wild capers and you know, Gemini, right? Like it's pretty, it's, it's, it's Gemini. <laughs> um, some trading happens, um, some exchanges of energy and, and money and information and all sorts of things happen with these entities. Um, and so also magic and magical practice really built in. So like with Hengist's day, we have this thing and these other days that I was just mentioning, this thing of like competitive pairs who are like with each other and fighting each other at the same time. And then if anybody else threatens them, they kind of like put their backs to each other and fight the world. <laughs> and then they go back to like having this loving competition, loving competition with each other. Um, 
So other magical beings or, or days of this time, we have this, the Feast of St. Joan of Arc at this time. Um, very magical and androgynous character. Um, we have um, the ascent of Frigg on this day, the birth of Buddha at this time of year, um, and a couple of other holidays, uh, holy days that are uh, about sort of the ascending of the light, the rising of the light, or the, and also the rising of wisdom and a being coming up into knowing and awareness. We have uh, the feast of Saint Sarah et Kali, um, who is worshipped in France, but also worshipped by some uh, Romani and, and Santi people, uh, uh, Sinti, excuse me, people. And, um, and this character has a lot put on them. They seem to be a witch queen, and also perhaps an iteration of the Virgin Mary, and also perhaps an iteration of the goddess Kali. She's got a lot going on. <laughs> but she is an incredibly magical being, and she blesses and protects travelers, the Romani people in particular, um, and nomads of various types around the planet. So um, she's a pretty cool character. Um, so as we can see, as we move through Beltane season, we move through lots of fertility stuff, lots of reinforcement of the physical plane earth day is at this time of year um but then we start to move into this idea of i've i've found my opposite now i want to find my same and i want to start working with people who are on the same page as me who see the world the way that i do like who is my team that i'm teaming up with and let me go out there and do it uh okay so let's now move on to some of the astrology, or excuse me, the astronomy of this season. Here's our sky guide. <laughs> it's kind of long. <laughs> There's a few things happening. Let me just, let me just do this. Let me just do that here. Make that just a little bit bigger for you guys to be able to see it. Patrons, we are going to be going over this in detail. <laughs> uh, so you've been warned. <laughs> um, what are we doing at this time of year? Uh, generally speaking, um, generally speaking, the sun is going to move through Taurus and then it's going to move through Gemini. So we have our earthy vibes and then we have our airy, I need to communicate and network with people vibes. Uh, we know that, um, Mercury and Venus are going to be somewhere around in that conversation through the month of May. Um, Venus will be traveling through Aries. Jupiter also will be traveling through Aries, kind of bringing in the back end of spring energy or the front end of spring energy. Um, and then Mars is going to enter Aries. And then at the very end of May, Venus is going to enter Taurus. So that Taurus energy is going to come through astrologically and astronomically a little bit later. Um, but in this season, we have, um, I think the big thing to really talk about with this is that our eclipse season has now moved into Beltane season. So eclipses are going to be happening through Beltane season. We have our partial solar eclipse, April 30th on Beltane. Yeah, with a new moon. <laughs> Chonies will be hiked, people. I say it all the time, but if you have not hiked your chonies yet, you better get on it, okay? Gird thy loins, kid, because we're not fucking around in 2022. <laughs> um, 
We will hit Solar Beltane, which is exactly 15 degrees of Taurus on May 5th. That will put us at the exact halfway point between Spring Equinox and Summer Solstice. Um, Mercury will station retrograde at 4 degrees of Gemini on May 29th. So Beltane season this year also contains a Mercury retrograde. Important because Mercury, ruler of Gemini, right? So that's a planet that is involved in the astrology that we are naturally passing through at this time of year. We want to pay attention to the fact that there's going to be a bit of a retrograde in this in this season. And we'll talk about the astrology of that in just a second. Um, May 15th, we are going to have our full blood flower moon at 25 degrees of Scorpio, appropriate. Uh, this will be a total lunar eclipse, and that is why it is a blood moon. Um, and then rolling down to June 3rd, Mercury was stationed direct at 26 degrees of Taurus. Uh, June 14th, we are going to have our super full strawberry moon at five degrees of Sagittarius. That is lunar perigee, uh, meaning that the moon is as close as it's going to get um, in its orbit for the year. I think although, uh, I think that's a lie. I think the next full moon, the one in uh, the one in July, I think is also a supermoon. You heard of here first. Um, and that's really what's up with our astrology or with our astronomy. So note, we have these eclipses um, and we have a supermoon here. Um, this new moon in Gemini and this uh, full moon in Sagittarius are going to be our last new moon and last full moon of spring. So if there is any spring energy that you are wanting to carry through, work on, wrap up, whatever, if there's something that you need to be initiating in this season, this would be the time to do it. Um, anything else? No, I think that's all I want to talk about with that. Okay, let's move on to the astrology. Uh, with the uh, astrology... Oh, you know what? There's one other thing that I want to say about this, actually. Um, let me let me do this. Let me do this. Dun, dun, dun. Here we go. Okay. Here are our Beltane constellations that we are kind of working with because this is approximately where the sun is moving through in the sky. Ish. Not going to get into it. Um, what do I really want to say about Taurus and Gemini here? One, Taurus is one of the oldest and most noted constellations in Western civilization. Like, rolling back through Western civilization recorded history, this is one of the oldest chunks of the sky and collections of stars that people have been talking about. The horns of Taurus used to be immense, and in various eras, Taurus stretched all the way back to where Pisces is, which would be in this image to the right or to the west. You can see Aries above. So all of Aries, uh, you know, wasn't even necessarily considered part of Aries or Aries was considered to be completely above the wildly stretched out constellation of Taurus. Um, it's thought of as a... A bull that is resting on the ground, weary from uh, dragging the plow. Uh, Taurus is kind of um, also known as the bull, also known as the wild ox, 
also known as the unicorn. Um, and the Pleiades uh, are one of the most storied constellations up in the sky, and they are a bright feature in the constellation of Taurus. I guess they're not too bright, but they're, they're up there. They're referred to as the Seven Sisters, or sometimes the Six Sisters, um, a necklace of stars. And people have been talking about that constellation since, like, um, or collection of stars since, like, 2400 BC. So, you know, about 5,000 years or so. Um, and then Gemini, this is where we find the fixed stars Castor and Pollux. And the story of those two uh, are pretty incredible. But here are our twins. Here are our two uh, that are one, but they are two. And they are mirroring each other. And they are out there in the world having adventures and doing things. Uh, Castor is the mortal horseman. Pollux is the immortal warrior. Um, and horses become the key image when we're working with, or the key animal, I guess I should say, when we're working with our Gemini energy. With Taurus, obviously, it's the bull. But when we move into Gemini, it's not just the twins, but it's also horses in particular. Um, is there any other thing I want to say about this? No. I don't think so. I think that's everything. <laughs> oh, yeah. I did want to show you this. I think I already showed it to you briefly, but here's this. So here is the Taurus constellation, and that is like the Taurus constellation in comparison to an old-fashioned plow. Um, Taurus is drawn both of these ways. Uh, the one with more stars is older, and the uh, prongs pointing that way are thought to be the horns. And then lower is the plow, or the thing that would hook uh, to the plow. Um, but it really surprised me at how similar they were. And then, we'll talk about this a little bit more towards the end of class, I know, which is like minutes from now. <laughs> but this, I also thought is really cool. Here, just a steer's head, but the letter A, or Aleph is often connected to oxen and bulls and Taurus. And we can see that there is a very similar shape in the way that the letter A was drawn throughout time and this Taurus shape, this plow shape. And they're not identical, but they're more similar than not to me. Again, maybe I've been doing this for too long and everything is everything, but <laughs> but that was, you know, again, one of those where you're like, is that the same shape? That's the same shape. What? What? Oh, they did that on purpose, didn't they? Yeah, oh, that's cool. Okay. <laughs> All right. Moving on to the astrology of Beltane. Well, we already talked a little bit about the fact that there is uh, eclipse season now kind of couched in the midst of Beltane. So what do we do with eclipses before we talk about this stuff? Um, let me uh, let me talk about eclipses. Eclipses, solar eclipses and lunar, uh, both have a funky reputation when it comes to rituals, spell casting, uh, magical work in general. And there's a lot of conjecture, a lot of traditional magical practice and spiritual practices say, keep your head down. Don't even look at the eclipse. 
and definitely don't do any magic other than maybe prayer or like leaving out an offering for your beings that you work with, your ancestors, your guides, your deities, whoever. Uh, but otherwise, just like sweep the floor, mind your business, leave it alone. Other people feel like um, it's not necessarily bad, but the energy is so low and so blocked that it's kind of pointless to do any magic. And then there are other people that feel like um, because this celestial object has been blocked, whether it's the moon, a lunar eclipse, or the sun, solar eclipse, you can see all this stuff that you normally couldn't be able to see. Normally you wouldn't be able to see these things, but this, this source of light has been blocked and now you can kind of see into the dark. Be that what it may, right? Um, after that, you know, I'm always going to say you have free will, you have your intuition, you have your personal lived experiences. Um, I don't recommend doing anything that you think is harmful or dangerous for you, so don't. Um, we're also talking about magic and energy, so that's as real as it is for you. Um, but, uh, but with these eclipses, what I think they give us an opportunity to do is to take a second, to take a moment, take a couple of hours, and consider things that feel like they are obviously going in the direction that they're supposed to be going. Are they? Is everything running the direction that it's supposed to be running? Or am I on autopilot right now? That's what I feel like these eclipses give us an opportunity to kind of check in with. Um, our nodes, of course, are in Taurus and Scorpio now. And so that's where our eclipses are going to be. And we're moving through Beltane season. Beltane season says, no, it's absolutely the rightest thing ever to make stuff happen on the physical plane. Right now, do it. Manifest the stuff. Go, go, go. Be possessive. Be stubborn. Be materialistic. Care about those things. And those are sometimes important things to care about, right? I do need to worry about my rent, right? I do need to worry about eating food and taking care of my physical body. I do. Um... But, and, uh, when am I on autopilot there? When am I getting too, you know, when is uh, stubbornness becoming righteousness? When is um, possession becoming possessive? That thing, you know, when is, um, you know, securing my physical world needs turning into greed or avarice or paranoia, right? And like defensiveness and getting freaked out about stuff. So I feel like, the, these these eclipses are here to kind of help us very gently question ourselves and make sure that we are on the moral track that we actually want to be on. And sometimes we come back from those moments of self-exploration realizing, no, I'm not on the track I would like to be on. And also, I'm living in a world that really is not giving me super great options. Sit with the discomfort. <laughs> and then... Um, you know, when it's time, go to your um, sources of authority and demand better conditions from them. Do not get mad at the people that are around you and don't punch down. Don't punch down towards the people that have it worse off than you, who are less privileged than you, who are more marginalized than you in whatever way. Um, again, Beltane season really wants us to focus on the material world. And that, by necessity, is going to make us focus on the stuff that we have to do, the things we engage in, the activities, the beliefs, the internal bullshit, like whatever that is, around 
how we secure things on the physical plane and how we maintain things on the physical plane. And there is a lot of stuff in our world right now encouraging us to be defensive, paranoid, jealous, um, you know, greedy, uh, scared, right? And isolated and alienated from each other and, and suspicious of each other. Um, so I encourage you to, if you work with these eclipses in any way, it would be to question that stuff. Question where are these beliefs coming from? What systemic systems and situations are around me creating environments and creating situations where I don't feel like I can be as generous and open-handed with my community members as I want to be, as my ethics want to be, need to be. Um, and recognizing that our community members and our brothers and sisters and our family members are not the people that are creating those systemic situations and, and issues. Um, that stuff. Okay. <laughs> Lefty witch going off. <laughs> Once again, you know what's going to happen at some point in the class. So, all right. We got that out of the way. It's probably not the last of it, but okay. Uh, <laughs> bringing us back to the astrology that I talk about in the book. <laughs> um, we begin to truly revel in the physical world, drinking it in. Focus moves from discovering our will to discovering our body and reveling in the beauty and wonder of the physical world. We begin to stabilize what we initiated at Ostara. So Ostara, again, we have the vision. And here at Beltane, we are now rooting or grounding the vision in something physical that we can actually touch, taste, smell, feel, hear, that kind of stuff. And then uh, we are going to have our new moon, 10 degrees of Taurus, and our full moon, as I said, it's a full blood flower moon uh, at 25 degrees of Scorpio. So with this new moon in Taurus, um, Describe your relationship to the physical plane. What do the phrases Mother Earth and Green Man mean to you? And that's vast, right? So, you know, journal on that for as much as you want to. Or maybe those are some questions that you can come back to over and over again. You can also use these in ritual um, as a way of creating like an on-the-spot prayer or an on-the-spot chant for a deity that... You know, what do these phrases Mother Earth mean for you? And you just allow descriptive phrases and adjectives to start to come forward and just sing them out, say them over and over again. It's a really cool way of just in spontaneously creating a spiritual practice. And then at the full moon, total lunar eclipse. So, you know, buyer beware, your mileage may vary. But this is a moon, the moon, for considering the life, death, rebirth paradigm what does that mean to you and how are sex and death alike right le petite mort then we're going to move into gemini season and now that we are back in touch with our bodies and we want to go outside again and you know safely hang out with each other as much as possible it's time to go meet everybody and think all the thoughts and generally try to do all the things um focus moves from stimulating the body 
to stimulating the mind. So we stimulated our willpower in Aries season. Now we are, then we are stimulating the body in Taurus season. Now we are stimulating the mind in Gemini season. And so here we're going to have our new moon in Gemini and our full, uh, super full strawberry moon in uh, Sagittarius. Again, these are going to be our last moons of spring. And while we're working with this Gemini moon, Again, ritual work, journaling practices, however you want to engage this material. List three ways you want to be further connected to your neighbors and your neighborhood. And then what are you going to do about it? So I want you to also list three things that are feasible. And then I want you to challenge yourself to go and do these things, right? Because they're, they're feasible. They're actually easy. It doesn't have to be anything epic. It doesn't have to be epic. It literally could be that you learn the name of your next door neighbor. <laughs> and it's so wild because in another time, we all would have known each other because we weren't all rooted to our screens and alienated in our little weird techno lives. But maybe it's just learning the name of the guy that sleeps at the bus stop down at the corner. You see him all the time. He's your neighbor. You might as well get to know him. And then, right, because the vulnerability that comes with that, that's what's scary. That's what's like, oh, oh, God, connecting with people. Like, really, though, actually, because I'm going to care, because I'm going to care. That thing. That's why I don't want you to make it too challenging for yourself. I want you to do little things, but then really do them. Connect with the people in your world. It's like really kind of actually vital. Then we are going to have our full moon in Sagittarius. And for this full moon, I encourage you to have as much fun as you can possibly have safely because it's going to be a beautiful full moon. But also journaling on a few sources of wisdom that you trust and lean on that you inherited. Not necessarily systems of wisdom that you have found on your own life, but things that maybe a family member brought to you or you know, a friend of the family or somebody who helped raise you or anything along those lines, that's more important. Or, or um, sources of wisdom that you have inherited from the, the systems that you live in. Could be the society, the country, or the, or the community that you live in. Um, that stuff too. Interesting work. Okay. Moving on to tarot. So many pages to be turning. Okay. Tarot, you know, I love. <laughs> and our tarot helpers for Beltane season, and we're going to get into this a little bit. We have the Hierophant and the Empress while we are working through Taurus season. The Hierophant connects us to the sign of Taurus. The Empress connects us to the planet Venus. And then as we move into Gemini, we are going to switch to working with the lovers for Gemini and the magician as uh, Mercury, the ruling planet of uh, Gemini. So Taurus, first and foremost. Um, in fact, let me show you this. Badink. Okay. This is Taurus uh, and Venus, so the Hierophant and the Empress, and then the three minor arcana that we are working with at this time of year. I have pieces up on my site 
uh, for these three minor arcana. Uh, I put them up initially for my patrons, but now they are up for the public. And it's part of a series that I call Everyday Living in the Minor Arcana. Um, and it's really just an effort um, to uh, kind of bring the tarot down to earth and bring it into terms that are a hell of a lot more, um, I don't know, realistic, I guess, or, uh, you know, relatable. <laughs> Ultimately is kind of what we're doing with that. Okay. So moving through the energy of spring, we come upon the Empress and the Hierophant. Both figures, while very official, are ultimately concerned with the well-being of the group. Their efforts manifest in the real world with real consequences. The Empress wants us to feel beautiful and lush and sexy, happy and fed, and the Hierophant wants to keep us connected to paternal traditions that keep us aligned with the values of the group, marching along in a happy, smoothly functioning society. Their core teachings offer us a doorway into a place where we can hear our inner voice and activate our inner guiding compass by learning from the past and past traditions of teaching, as well as the natural rhythms of nature. But those paradigms can feel very claustrophobic or alienating. What if we have problems with traditional forms of order or trust issues around old structures of power? What if we don't feel like we have access to the lush beauty and body-centric reality that seems relegated to the realms of the beautiful people? What if our bodies or our soul's rhythms don't seem to match our peers? The politics of the body and the politics of social hierarchy can feel like a dividing force and it strikes at the core of our feelings of self-worth. In this season, we will be asked to play several parts in a story about inclusion, exclusion, and the karma created around these interactions. Sit with it. Feel in yourself who wants attention? Consider what you get out of life when you feed and build with these various selves or when you don't. Listen to what your heart has to say about worthiness, about feeling excluded. Where do we allow traditional thinking to conform us? And when is that okay? And when is it not? Can we see the nature of the things we have built in our lives? What is true success or victory in our lives? At the heart of it all, we must have a passionate yearning for the thing or it won't matter. But then we move into Gemini season. And side note, I just have to mention because it's really incredible. Um, the sun in Seattle is setting, uh, and it's this beautiful golden light and it is raining at the same time, which I do believe is called 
a fox's wedding. <laughs> um, so, you know, we're, we're having a wedding outside with the rain and the sun joining in the sky at the same time. Pretty incredible today uh, in Seattle, Washington with the weather. Pretty dang cool. All right, so now we move into Gemini. And in Gemini, we have the lovers and we have the magician. And then we have the seven, or excuse me, the eight, nine, and ten of swords leading us up through the last four weeks of Beltane and into uh, summer solstice. Um, and these cards, uh, I mean, Gemini lovers, or excuse me, the lovers and the magician, most folks are pretty cool with hanging out with. Um, the, the, the eight, nine, and ten of swords, maybe not as popular. <laughs> Um, but what is happening here? Well, A, we see in the lover's card, there's that big hill between those two people. And that is a sign of pregnancy. Um, now we can infer pregnancy as the literal metaphor of a human that got pregnant, but it's also the pregnant with potential. As I have said many, many times, we are not always talking about flesh babies. We are talking about the things that we are producing or trying to produce in the world. Um, and so here the lovers are, okay, this is happening. This is starting to happen. In the magician card, we are seeing literally the people or the person, the being that has the four elements of the material world laid out in front of them, right? Those are the tools that we acquire in Taurus season. And they're like, okay, I think I got this. I think I can like make magical stuff happen now. Um, and so what do I want to say about these two cards? Well, again, as I, as I just said, there's this pregnancy energy. Um, there is this, and then there's this figure that's like, I have figured out how to bring the above and manifest it down here in the below. And we see that in the arms of the magician. We're going to talk about these cards more through the season um, and also in Letha season. But let me say this. The subconscious can and does receive influence from above. And it can and does reflect that in the subconscious. And that is a lot of the relationship that's happening between the three characters in the lover's card. But it's also a really highfalutin way of describing what's happening in the three minor arcana cards because ultimately where we are in the energetic process of gemini is we have a vision in our mind that we've inherited in in aries season we begin to manifest it in taurus season and now our mind begins to try to wrangle the differences between these two worlds and how it is that these things fit together or don't fit together um We know that we can eventually embody or manifest, you know, potentially anything with the right amount of time and resources and all of that stuff. And that's a lot of the mental anxiety that we're experiencing in these three cards. How do I choose? Which path do I pick? But also the ethics and the morality conversation that gets brought up with, well, if I go down that path, X, Y, Z. And if I go down that path, X, Y, Z. Uh, am I really the kind of person that's 
that's going to do this or going to do that just to achieve success or to keep my property safe or whatever it is that we're considering manifesting in the world. It gets a little intense, guys. But you know what? It's okay. We got it. Um, okay. So now let me move on to this. I really wish I could show you guys the light that's coming through because it's, it is, it's actually incredible. <laughs> uh, pretty special stuff going on outside in Seattle, Washington today. Okay, let us talk a little bit more about our Taurus energy and then we are going to wrap it up for the night. Um, so let us go to here. The constellation of Taurus is huge and may have reached all the way back to Pisces at one point in history. We know that humans have been working with this constellation for over 6,000 years uh, as it marked the vernal equinox, spring equinox, from approximately 4300 BCE to 2000 BCE. But it's not the uh, oldest record of human veneration of the bull or the cow. Uh, the earliest evidence that we have of bull worship is at the famous archeological site, Katul Hayuk in Eastern Anatolia, AKA Turkey, uh, from approximately nine to 10,000 years ago, great sets of horns are embedded in fire pits and massive red bulls are painted on the walls often described as the bull of heaven. Sacred bull deities are depicted as both solar and lunar in various cultures. The word ka in Egyptian means both life force and bull. Apis was an Egyptian bull god and the son of Hathor and was sacrificed and reborn yearly and became a go-between for, uh, humans and other deities. Crete had their renowned bull dances. There's some more Hathor. Sorry. And some more Hathor. <laughs> there we go. Crete had their renowned bull dances with players grasping the bull's horns and leaping over them and Manoah had their infamous minotaur skulking the labyrinth. Shiva has Nandi, the sacred bull as his chariot or wagon and protector. Uh, the name Nandi comes from the Tandil word Nandu, which means to flourish, to appear, to grow. In Sanskrit, Nandi means joy, happiness, and fulfillment. In Hebrew, ox, orok, or hawk, uh, is represented by the first letter in the alphabet, Aleph. It is one of the four creatures depicted as the archangels representing Earth. Bulls are often associated with the idea of connectors, uh, unifiers, bridges, or something upon which other things rely for support. Uh, white buffaloes are revered as sacred omens of great change by many North American tribes, uh, but also the Catholics, as uh, the Lakotas, the Plains Indians, uh, white buffalo calf woman came during uh, famine. Um, 
and offered uh, seven sacred rites to raise up the Lakota. Uh, Moses of the Old Testament, uh, who was often depicted with ram's horns, the astrological sign immediately preceding Taurus, specifically forbade the worship of golden calves, which the locals seemed to be fond of. Uh, there was a Syrian deity named Baal, uh, who was a bull god who ruled over the sky, uh, lightning, and fertility. Baal, or Bel, was also a title that meant owner, or lord, or master. But many gods of this time and region had the prefix Baal or Bel, like Baal Chamin, the sky deity, and Baal Haman, a weather god who had who oversaw vegetation and uh, was connected to the Egyptian Amon. Uh, there's also Baal Karain, the two-horned god. But of course, we have Baal or Bel, Beltane. Uh, Baal had a temple that stood at Palmyra in Syria until the terrorist group ISIL destroyed it in 2015. This is no longer standing, unfortunately. Um, there's another uh, uh, Mediterranean, or excuse me, Middle Eastern cow deity named Ain, uh, who connects with the Celtic goddess Ain. And uh, I would be showing you pictures of her temple as this sacred bull goddess, uh, except her temple was destroyed in 2018. Um, so yes, pagans still being persecuted, even after all this time. Moloch was another infamous bull god. His name relates to a few interesting words in the Hebrew, uh, in Hebrew, like MLK, Mulk, uh, sacrifice, and the Akkadian Malku, which means both uh, king and manifestation. It also connected to names like Malcolm and Melkart. Kayutha is the cosmic bull in medieval Islamic astrology or cosmology it is said to carry on its back the angel who shoulders the earth and the rock platform upon which the angel stands the bull is said to stand on the giant fish or whale bahamut who is tiamat and typhon um, but again there's also our astrological signatures lining up because remember uh, if we think about our constellations at one point Taurus reached all the way back to Pisces. And here we are seeing that uh, time signature in this symbolism. Everybody getting that? One significant feature that is nearly universal is that these creatures are depicted as stark white or shining. And many myths surround a white bull, a white buffalo, or a white cow. And here again is our Aleph symbol. Yes, I put this here on the end at purpose. Um, showing us those connections between the start and the beginning and all of that stuff. Okay. We are almost through. Thank you so much for sticking with me this entire class. <laughs> I know it's a lot of information. Good job. <laughs> um, that brings us back to cows, 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 cows. Okay. And Taurus or tarot. We talk about tarot. Uh, yes, we did. Tarot, tarot, tarot. Okay, so briefly to recap, 
are ritual forms, running between two bonfires or jumping a fire, hanging a rowan branch over your door, burning a wicker man, wandering through nature. I say that at every class. This class is no exception as a man, an incredibly magical time to go out and really smell earth, taste it, touch it, smell it, listen to it, feel it, um, really get it on you. Uh, washing in or scrying in morning dew on May morning, uh, going a maying, playing games and tricks, dressing in bright colors and leaving flowers everywhere, sex and sensuality, whatever that means for you, especially near your plants or your garden. Um, very quickly, uh, for building your altar this year, um, for Beltane altars, this is the time of year, depending on where you are, that you may start to be able to go outside. If you can build an altar outside, that is the most appropriate thing to do. If you can't, bring the outdoors in as much as is reasonable for your circumstances. Um, perfectly appropriate things to offer on your altar and uh, offer to people at Beltane season. Oatmeal cakes, flowers, honey, almond seeds, lentils. Um, our plant helpers, rose probably more than anything else, um, and woodruff as well. Uh, very, very potent to work with during this season. Um, animal helpers, of course, are bulls, absolutely horses. Um, and when you read into the myths of our various deities that we work with at this time of year, you'll see the presence of a lot of these animal um, helpers there. Mineral helpers, for tapping into Taurus energy in particular, copper, rose, and emerald, big time. And I know people are like, emerald? You can find raw emerald at gem stores, at crystal shops, sometimes very, very cheap because they're not good-looking stones, That's but it is real emerald, and it's a way of having that stone on your altar if you want to work with it magically. Then when we move into Gemini season, starting to work with chrysoprase, glass, literally, um, and, uh, kunzite all are really, or excuse me, uh, salt, uh, not kunzite. Kunzite is also connected to Taurus, but chrysoprase glass and salt in particular, really great for working with Gemini. Um, incense and oils are flowery flowers, especially so through Taurus season and then into the lighter stuff like sandalwood, agarwood, lemon, benzoin, as we move into Gemini. Again, all of this stuff is completely appropriate for using on your altar for Beltane, giving as gifts, wearing it, eating it, putting it on your shirt, hanging it in your house, whatever is safe and appropriate for you and your circumstances. For your Beltane ritual, here are some meditations. How can you bring more pleasure into your life? How does your sexuality contribute to your vitality? What is the relationship there with those energies? Thinking on things that bring beauty into your life and how you bring beauty into the world. Just meditating on that for a while. But then describe five things about yourself that are unique or beautiful, AKA that nobody else is manifesting. And when you hear the phrase, the dance of life, what does that bring up for you? Because that can be pretty potent stuff to work with at this time of year. Okay, that brings me to that. And so now let me head to here because we are just about done. Um, first off, let me say, hey, work with me. <laughs> 
I read tarot, I do astrology readings, I teach these classes. Uh, you can join my Patreon if you want to work even more closely with this material. Um, like I said before, folks that are subscribed with me at the $9 and up level have access to the Patreon bag of holding, wherein uh, you can find the workbook from this class, um, the slides from this class, stuff we worked with, stuff we didn't. Um, digital spells and artwork for you to work with on your computer and your phone and whatnot. Lots of writings that I don't make public. Um, we have tarot circle just about every month. <laughs> um, and a bunch of other stuff as well. You are supporting, uh, me and keeping these classes free. This is what I do, uh, to make a living. This is me. Hi. And uh, folks who sub to my Patreon support this work and make it possible for me to keep these classes free for all beings, uh, whoever can work with it. So come work with me. Um, I also have a weekly podcast called Spinning the Wheel, where we take a in-depth uh, seven to eight day at a time look at the lunar cycles, the holy days, the astrology, the astronomy, and, 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 the folklore, all of the good stuff. Follow me on the socials. Um, if you haven't already, please like this video, subscribe to my YouTube channel, comment, you know, all of that crap because uh, the robots, they love that stuff. And so do I, honestly. Um, and let me say thank you to my patrons. Oh, my motherfucking God. You guys. Come on. Come on. Also, it's kind of getting scary and really cool because um, uh, I'm having a hard time fitting all the names on there. <laughs> so thanks. That's really cool. <laughs> um, all right, my friends. That is Beltane 2022. I hope that you have an opportunity to knock all of the sacred boots that you possibly can. Um, uh, you know, sex and sensuality are such loaded vistas of human experience. And this is a season that really wants us to get into our bodies, get into the physical plane. And again, as I always say, I really want to encourage you to do it in whatever ways makes sense for you. What's healthy for you, what's safe for you, COVID and just life, right? Sex and sensuality is lovely and delicious and wonderful for some people. And it's really freaky and hard for some people. And sometimes that's us by turns through the various eras of our lives. Um, so let this be a season to open that world up for you and feel like you can explore these ideas and these energies in whatever ways you want to. I just encourage you to spend some time with this material, this subject matter. And if you're a person that's like, I can't wait for the humpery, I can't wait for the humpery, be careful. Okay. Use some fucking protection. Uh, you know, like, like even if somehow you're magically safe from COVID, you're also, you're not, uh, but you're probably not safe from pregnancy and STDs. So like, you know, still keep it cute. Um, you want to su support some folks in this time of year, folks that are uh, very appropriate for support during Beltane season, anybody, uh, dealing with food or food scarcity, food deserts, food insecurity, uh, 
any groups that are helping people learn how to grow their own foods uh, and starting gardens in places. These are fantastic groups to work with. Um, anybody that is in sex work, we have International Sex Workers Day during Beltane season, of course. Um, so supporting your local sex worker is uh, a huge holy work at this time. Um, supporting your trans and queer friends and family uh, at this time, very holy work. Um, and worshiping your own body. Recognize the holiness and sacredness in this bizarre collection of cells that have decided to get together and do this of all the things they could have done. <laughs> it's pretty fantastic, right? If we're going to be worshiping the genus Loki of a place, let's start here, right? Charity starts at home. Well, let's start being a little more charitable to ourselves, welcoming ourselves back into our bodies, worshiping and celebrating this holy temple wherein the magical act and the magical art that is our life comes into vibrant being. All right, my friends, thank you so much for joining me. Blessed be, I hope your Beltane is as raunchy as you can possibly stand, you freaks. <laughs> All right, my beautiful heathens, thank you so much. Mwah. Blessed be. <laughs>